Welcome to Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. We're so glad that you are listening with us today, and we hope that this message is a blessing. In 2006, um, the movie Click came out. I'm going to spoil it. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm sorry. Okay, so it's an Adam Sandler movie. When I was in middle school and high school, Adam Sandler was the funny guy. Um, and so you just think that it should be a lighthearted, good, funny movie. And so, but in the movie, he is an architect. He's working for a firm. He's doing so at the expense of his wife and his kids, overworked, overstressed. And at one point, he goes to Bed Bath & Beyond. And like many of us have been tempted to do, he lays down and falls asleep. Now, his purpose of going to Bed Bath & Beyond was to pick up a universal remote. Well, when he wakes up, he, he finishes the task, but the universal remote he gets, it's not any ordinary remote. Someone has invented it. It's got magical powers, if you will, to fast forward time. Now, he's expecting to get a promotion. He's expecting to get a raise. So he buys gifts for his wife and his kids, maybe to make up for the lost time, but then he doesn't get the promotion. And now without the raise, he can't afford the things which he purchased and temptation sets in and he hits fast forward and he fast forwards to the point that he does get the raise. And so the way the remote works is he's physically there going through the motions, but he's not actually present. And so he doesn't remember the moments. He doesn't experience the stuff that happens as life fast forwards. And so he misses out on a whole year of his kids getting older. He misses out on his dog passing away and being there for his family. And so throughout the movie, he's fast forwarding to different points. And you see his marriage fall apart. You see um, his wife get remarried. You see his kids getting married. He gets cancer. He has a heart attack. I mean, all of these horrible things. And you're like, I thought he was the funny guy, right? And it's really, it's a, it's a kind of a sad movie. But then he wakes up and you're like, it was all a dream. And, um, and he goes and buys a remote at Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, but as you watch the movie, it really drives home the point that time is precious, that the time we have, it, it, it will run out. It's finite. You can't create more time for yourself. And, and the time we have should be cherished and we should live it to the fullest. And so uh, we're doing a little series called Faithful Stewardship, and we're talking about how do we steward things like our treasures? How do we steward our time? How do we steward our talents? And so today we're gonna zero in on how do we steward the time that God has gifted us. So if you've got a Bible, let's, be, let's open up in Matthew 25, starting in verse one. Jesus says, "'Then the kingdom of heaven will be like.'" This whole section is about the kingdom. What will the kingdom of heaven be like? He wants his followers, his disciples, to have a kingdom mindset in the way that they live, to have an eternal perspective. So he says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. And so what this, this parable is, it's a parable about a wedding. Now the virgins it's talking about, these are bridesmaids who have not been married. So if you've ever been to a wedding and the bride takes her bouquet of flowers 
and she gets ready to throw it behind. Like, what, is the, what does the DJ do? He's like, all you unmarried ladies out there, come on up. And, like, and they come up, and, and then it's like UFC. They're like, we're gonna fight for this thing. And she tosses the bouquet, there's face palms, like there's all, and the women fight because they're not married yet. And it's like, if you catch the bouquet, you're gonna be next. And more or less, those would be the 10 virgins. Those, those would be the bridesmaids who are not yet married. Now, in this culture, let me explain how weddings work. All right, there's, there's multiple destinations. So you have the, the groom, and the groom is in his, his party. He's got his groomsmen with him, his best man. And then together, they walk through town, and they walk to his bride's parents' house. And he gets there, and then the ceremony takes place. And so they do the vows, they do all these other things, and things we're not gonna talk about. And they get married, and then after the marriage happens, they then walk from the parent's house, his wife's parent's house, to his house, to the groom's house, and that's where the party would take place. That's where, that's where they're like, for the first time, we introduced to you. Like, that's where this moment happens, at his house. And so these bridesmaids are getting ready for the wedding, okay? So you have these bridesmaids who are getting ready to meet the bridegroom. It says five of them, verse two, were foolish and five were wise. Just take note of that word wise. It says, for when the foolish took their lamps, which are basically like torches, they're mag lights, they're, they're, they're portable torches that you can light the way with, they took no oil with them. So the, this is basically like a big rounded dome with rags in it that you would put soak in oil and then you could light it and it would flame up. And, and so they, they, the, when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. With oil, it could have burned for hours. Without extra oil, you're limited. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps, right? And so the foolish, they're rolling the dice. They have no, lo- no idea how long the ceremony is gonna be, but they're thinking not too long. The wise are saying, look, we've been to enough weddings, this could go for a while. Let's be prepared with extra oil. Now, when I do weddings and I sit down with a couple, I will say, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have an introduction. I'm gonna tell people to sit down, all right? Um, we're gonna do some uh, declaration of intent here. Legally, you gotta do that. We need to know what you're intending to do. Um, your, your dad's gonna give you away. Here's how we're gonna, like, so we walk through the details. And I was like, but at this point, I'm gonna preach to you guys, right? I've got a message for you about marriage. And you've got some options. I can do it in 12 minutes. I can do it in 15 minutes. Or I can do it in eight minutes. Like, what, what option do you want? How long do you want me to go? And typically, they look at each other, and they're like, 15 seems a little bit long. Um, but eight kind of feels like, I mean, we're paying the guy. And so 12 99% of the time, they're like, we'll do the 12 option. That sounds good, right? And so for me, that's, that's the length of which I'm going to talk to the couple, to, to talk to them about marriage and God's design and how they're gonna love each other and all these different things that hopefully we've talked about in marriage counseling. It's just a good reminder. Now, I was in a wedding in college, totally different, right? My, my friend that was getting married was a pastor's kid. And so... Um, his dad would obviously want to preach at his wedding. Um, but he fell in love with and got married to another pastor's kid whose dad also would like to preach. And so we're at this church in Houston with a massive altar, all these stairs and a stage. And, and I'm standing on a, 
on a stair, left hand over right, and I'm thinking, don't pass out. And as I'm, as I'm doing that, I'm kind of bending my knees, and her dad preaches for 45 minutes to them. All right, and I'm sitting there going, I think one leg is longer than the other. Like, like, like I'm, I'm, as I'm adjusting my weight, I'm like, my left leg is, yeah, yeah, this leg's longer. All right, and so after he preached, guess what? My buddy's dad's like, and let me talk to the congregation. And he gets up and preaches a sermon to the congregation about weddings and how you're responsible to hold them accountable to the vows they're making and all this stuff. Could have been said in two minutes, another long sermon, right? Like, so what they don't know is, are they getting a Jeff-type ceremony or are they getting a long-winded ceremony? The wise bridesmaids, they're ready. They're ready for however long this lasts. The foolish, they're rolling the dice. Verse five says, as the bridegroom was delayed, i.e., long-winded pastor, they all became drowsy and slept. I'm figuring out that one leg's longer than the other. They're going, <sighs> like, I'm gonna just lay down for a second. They were drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And so the party's coming. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. That's a way to make the lamp burn brighter. So they're like, let's crank these things up. Let's light the road so that when they come through, it's, it's really bright. So they're trimming their lamps to make them burn brighter. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. They're, they're saying, look, if we divvy up the oil, we're all gonna run out before the party gets here and that'll be a really lame processional. So, so you gotta go find your own oil. I don't know how many dealers are open at midnight at this point in history, like 24-hour Walmart probably wasn't around, but they go, all right? And so verse 10, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready, right? The wise people are ready, went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. So they, they show up. Maybe they found oil, maybe they didn't and they had to stumble through the darkness, but they eventually show up and they're like, let us in, open to us. But he answered, truly, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. And this brings us back to the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, on that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and perform miracles? And he goes, and I'll tell them I never knew you. Away from me, you doers of evil. And so, so he's reminding us that there are people who have a true relationship with Christ and there are people who have no relationship with Christ. Right? And so he's contrasting. The wise are those who truly know Jesus. The unwise are those who don't. And then Jesus wraps up this parable with a, with a word to his audience. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Okay, so as we look at this text, like you see that word wise and that word foolish mentioned multiple times. And what we need to know is that there is a day when Jesus will return or there is a day when Jesus will call you home. Okay, there, there will be a day that Jesus will either come again or when Jesus will call you home. And as we wait, we have a choice with how we live. We can live foolishly or we can live wisely. 
right? And so when it comes to things like our treasure, our time, our talents, we have a choice with whether we can be wise or we can be foolish. And so what I want to do is I want us to zoom in and look at what does it look like for us to be wise, to be good stewards, to be responsible, to be faithful with the time that God has gifted us on this earth. And so if you just look into how many days the average American has to live and look at the things that consume our time, and there's some interesting interesting statistics out there. They would say the average American will live 28,835 days, right? 28,835 days. By the time you're 15, so kind of you're, you're starting to, you're getting to the point where you can drive and you should get a job, right? By the time you're 15, over 5,000 of those days are gone. So now we're in the 23,000s, okay? Five of those thousand days gone. Um, and you kind of keep chipping away at those things. 8,000 days sleeping. You're like, it's a lot of sleep, right? Now all of a sudden we're down, we're down to 15,000 days left and, and you've done nothing except almost get to 16 and sleep with your life. And then after that, you start looking at, well, how much time do we spend working? About 3,000 hours. Now we're down to 12,000 days left. We spend 1.6 thousand days preparing food or eating food. We spend 1,000 days in the car, more if you live in Atlanta, right? And then 2,000 hours or 2,000, you know, 2,000 days just watching TV, I mean, and there's all these other things that we, we take away. And all of a sudden, as you look at the days we have, you realize there's not a lot of time that we have that's free. And so when you think about the time you have, time is not only limited, a lot of it's already spoken for. And so how can we be good stewards of the time God has gifted us? What I want us to look at is I've got three P's for you. P, P. If, if I'm gonna let you in on a pastor secret Alliterations typically have one of three letters, P, T, or C. Like almost every time, I don't know what it is about, the, like there's more words that start with those or whatever, but so typically if a pastor gives you like three words, they're gonna, have, they're gonna be P's, T's, or C's most of the time. So three P's, right? The first thing is this, plan your time, okay? The first thing is simply this, plan your time. Time. Some Christians feel that it's, it's wrong to make plans, that we should just be spirit-led people and kind of see what the day holds. But Proverbs um, tells us that we should make plans and then give those plans to God. So if you look at Proverbs, um, Proverbs 16.9, it would tell you, you make the plans, but then you prayerfully give them to God, which means you hold your plans in open hand and say, God, I've, I've got these plans, but the, at the end of the day, you're the one who directs my path, so I'm gonna trust my plans to you. And so it's not wrong to make plans. And so we need to be responsible with the way that we plan out our day, our week, our month, and beyond. So right now, because time, you can't, re, you can't create more of it, um, time maximization is a huge market. You can find people who specialize in it. You can go to seminars and conferences. You can read books. You can get personal coaching. But people are, 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 are cashing in on teaching others how to maximize their time. You, you can get really geeked out on it and you can be like, well, at this point, my blood pressure rises and I stop producing melatonin and I'm gonna wake up. And so if I wake up naturally at seven, this is when I'm gonna do my best thinking. And so I wanna maximize my thinking period. Like you can get really geeky with it. But 
the vast majority of it boils down to one thing, having a plan. So 90% of time management, maximizing your time, boils down to having a plan. The next 10% is just small details that you can geek out on, but most of it is simply this, do you have a plan for how you will spend your day? right? You can do that with a checklist on a sticky note. You can use Evernote. You can get a calendar. I mean, Google calendars makes it super easy, whatever your system is. But if you have a plan, typically you're going to do better with your time, okay? And so what I would say as Christians, we should plan out our day. We should plan out our week. We should look at the month and make a plan, but then prayerfully hand those to God and say, okay, God, this is, this is yours, not mine. And then you want to start looking at it. So as you have your plan, step back and evaluate it before you, before you finalize it and say, all right, what are my priorities? Am I making time for God, for my family, for my friends, for my health, for work? Like, are your priorities in order? Okay, so I would say the first step is make a plan. Next is, you know, prioritize, make sure you've got the right things prioritized. But if you want to go next level on this, I'm going to tell you something you probably won't hear at a church, okay? Um, don't record this and just clip this part because I'll get slammed on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, right? But I'm going to tell you something you're not going to hear in church. You've got your priority list. God, family, friends, work. If you want to take it to the next level, take God off your priority list. <laughs> Take, like, stop putting God at the top of your priority list and make him the foundation, okay? Because if God is the foundation of your priorities, every other priority just becomes a pillar, okay? And then your relationship with Christ begins to inform and influence and drive the way you do things. And so if work is one of your priorities and God is your foundation, what happens is you realize that the way you work is meant to glorify God. Therefore, you should have one of the best work ethics at your job because you are a follower of Christ. So you, you put God not as the priority, but as the foundation who drives all other priorities in your life. But begin with simply making a plan and then prayerfully giving that plan to God. The next thing is this, protect your time. Something you need to hear, and I'll tell like some of you will hear this and you're like, I got it, let's move on. Others of you are like me and you're gonna have to learn this the hard way through multiple hard lessons. You are not a machine. You have God-given limits and that is good. Okay, you're not a machine. You have God-given limits, and that's good. So you need to, as someone who has limits, learn to protect your time. And so for most of, of us, a lot of us, we would say, I feel overworked and overstressed because you go, 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 right? What we need to learn to do is to protect our time. And one of the ways that looks like is as you're making your plans, be careful not to overschedule yourself. Because here's what, here's what we need to know. It's not wrong biblically to say no to something. It is wrong biblically to say yes to something and then back out because you've overcommitted yourself. All right, so we, what we need to learn to do is to 
is to protect our time by not overscheduling ourselves. I'll, I'll never forget this. Someone told me, Jeff, you will get successful in life by what you say yes to, but you will stay successful by what you learn to say no to. And so for us, we need to learn that all of life has these options of good, better, and best, and we need to learn to say no to the right things so that we can say yes to the best things. And the only way you can do that is through not overscheduling yourself and learning to protect your time. Another piece of protecting your time is we need to not only learn rhythms of rest, we need to practice rhythms of rest. We need to, I mean, it's, it's good that God on the seventh day rested as a model for us. Um, I've been trying to study how to run longer and faster, and I was, I was reading up on Kenyans this week, and the question was, how do Kenyans run so much? And one of, there's a couple of factors, but one of the key factors was they nap every day. You're like, I could get on board with that, right? Like, like, but like learning and practicing rhythms of rest. There was a study done with some soldiers and they, they had a group of soldiers with the task of building a wall, right? It's like, we want you guys to construct this wall. And so they split the soldiers up into two groups. One group was instructed to work through the day, just push through. You guys work and get the job done. Here's your assignment, execute it. The other group was told, we want you to work for 75 minutes and then take 25 minutes off and do that for eight hours straight. Like 75 on, 25 off. 75 on, 25 off. And it, it might not have been eight hours exactly. But what happened is the guys who are pushing through are thinking, we are killing them. Like we're dominating this, look at them. And the other guys are working for 75 minutes then taking a break and they're throwing cornhole. And they're sitting in cam hammocks and they're thinking, we're getting killed. These guys are working and we're sitting here doing nothing, just eating them alive. Like we have the assignment, let us do the assignment. But at the end, what they found is those who strategically rested actually got more done than those who pushed through. And so what studies have shown is that as humans, we all are given a certain number of windows of productivity every day. So all of us have these windows where we're just getting stuff done. You, you might know your window. Maybe your window is like, I don't know, I get to the office at 7.30, and from 7.30 to 9, I can get more done than I'm going to get from 9 to 2. Like, what are, you, you guys know those moments where you're just like, I'm in the zone, like getting things done. That's a window of productivity. We all have a limited number of windows of productivity a day. But what this study was showing with the soldiers is that if we push through the day, go, go, go. What happens is those windows of productivity have diminishing returns. Each one gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But for those who ride the wave and then strategically rest or shift tasks and refocus and then come to the next wave, they can keep those windows the same size, right? And so I tell you that because if your model is to push through the day, to push through the week, to push through the season, when you think about what's important to you, like think like if you were to say like, what are the most important priorities in your life? Who are the people that you would love to spend more time with? Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your daughter, or your son, maybe it's your best friend, maybe like whatever, like the things and the people that you're like, those are the important ones. If your mentality is to push through, 
you will give them your leftovers. If your mentality is to push through the day, the week, the season, you're going to end up giving the things and the people that you care about most the leftovers, unless you protect your time by practicing rhythms of rest. Okay, so we need to protect our time. Then the third and final thing is this, and this should frame up the first two, right? So plan your time, protect your time, and then we need to purpose our time. So purpose your time. And what I mean by purpose your time is live with an eternal perspective. Live with an eternal perspective. If you, if you look at Ecclesiastes 3, it's this beautiful chapter about time. And in verse 11, it says that God has made everything beautiful in its time and that he has put eternity on our hearts. Okay, so we need to live with an eternal perspective. But I think so many of us are focused on the now that we miss what's to come. And I can illustrate this with my kids. Let's say my kids come home from school and they're like, dad, can we have a snack? I'm starving. I'm like, did you eat lunch? Like, you know, and so they're like, I'm starving, but I know they need to read for 20 minutes every day. And so I go, have you read for 20 minutes yet? And they look at me and they're like, no, we just got home from school. And so I will say, I can give you one Oreo now and then you read for 20 minutes or you can read for 20 minutes and then I will give you five Oreos. And they're like, one Oreo now. Like they're, like they're right now focused, right? And so when we live with a short-term perspective, we rob ourselves of long-term benefits, right? When we live with a short-term perspective, we rob ourselves of long-term benefits. So we can either have a right now perspective with life or we can have an eternal perspective with life. And so if you wanna begin to live with a more eternal perspective, I would say it begins with a simple prayer. Go, go to Psalms um, 90 verse 12 and, and read the verse. It says, Lord, teach me to number my days. And Bill's gonna read more of that in our benediction, but just the simple prayer Lord, teach me to number my days. So begin by asking God for help. If you will come to God and ask him to teach you to live with an eternal perspective, that's a prayer he loves to answer. And the second thing can be found in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. Listen, listen to these verses. Paul says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but is wise in relation to the parable we read as wise or foolish, right? Be careful how you walk, not as foolish, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there's something about understanding God's will that makes us wise. And so the first thing is praying, God, teach me to live with an eternal perspective. And the second thing is beginning to understand what God's will is. And the way that you begin to understand and learn God's will is by spending time with God in his word. 
And so as you're spending time with God in his word, you'll learn to have your heart beat for the things that God's heart beats for. You'll find your fist clenching for the things that God's fist clenches for. You'll find your passions aligning for the things that God is passionate about. And so you'll begin to understand God's will. And here's what happens. When you think about planning your day and your week and your month and your season, the, without a, an eternal perspective, typically our plans will be made and we'll say, God, this is where I'm going. I would love for you to come along. Anybody ever done that with life? God, I'm going to this college. It'd be great if you showed up with me. God, I'm gonna marry this person. I would love for you to bless that. Like whatever it is, so you, God, this is where I'm going. I'd love for you to come along. But when you begin to pray for God to teach you to number your days, when you begin to try to live not as foolish, but wise with the time that God has given you, learning his will, you will start to say, God, where are you working? And how can I take part in it? God, where are you working and do my plans align with your heart? Where are you working and how can, I, how can I join in? You see, we need to have a purposed time. We need to purpose our time with an eternal perspective. Let me close with this. Um, there's a difference between layover Christians and eternally um, Christians who have an eternal perspective. There's a difference between layover Christians and Christians who have an eternal perspective. Let's say you're flying, and you, you fly from Tri-Cities to Atlanta, and you're, you're, you've got a layover. And you're not a frequent flyer, so you don't have the Delta Lounge to your disposal. Right? You're, you're a normal person. And so you show up to your terminal, and you're waiting for what? Your connecting flight. You have a layover and you're just like, I'm gonna be here for a little bit and then I'm going. And so as you sit in that seat and you look around, you're just like, is that a burrito? Like, is that Kidoba? Like you're sitting there looking at it. It's just people aren't throwing away their trash. Someone's over there coughing a lung out and you're just like, I was gonna protect my space and someone else is napping and you're just looking at this, this area and you're going, I just wanna get out of here. Like, get me on the plane so I can find my movie and I wanna get to my destination. A layover Christian, right, just says, I'm here on earth, but I know God's gonna call me home or I know that God will come again. And so God, just get me to heaven. And that's the mentality. It's like this time on earth is a layover and then we've got a better destination, right? That's a layover Christian. No one goes to the airport and thinks, I should pick up some trash, let me water some plants. Let me beautify this area while I'm here. You're saying, no, I want to get out, right? But an eternally, a Christian with an eternal perspective sees our time on earth as a gift to begin to cultivate and to begin to make earth, our time here, look like heaven to come. We say, no, like, I have a purpose on my time here with my relationships, with my vocation, with the spaces that God has placed me. It's not, I'm not here by accident. So how can I use my time wisely to honor and glorify God? So let's, let's not see our time on earth as a layover. Let's see it as a gift that God wants us to steward for his kingdom. God, thank you for your word. As we as we move towards a time of response, we, we ask that the gospel would shape our view of time. God, where, where we've made mistakes, we would know that, that they're forgiven. And God, where we feel overwhelmed with 
shaping our plans and our day that we would be encouraged that through your life, death, and resurrection, you've gifted us your spirit to empower us. And we know that we can't, but you can. But God, we, we want to see time as a gift from you. And we want to steward it for your purposes and for your glory and your honor. So God, help us to be kingdom-minded with the gifts you've given. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about us, you can check out our social media or website. Grace and peace to you.